That is the joy of the season, isn't it? That God himself came down from heaven to earth as a baby in order to be our Emmanuel, or literally translated, God with us. Not God above us, or God over us, although he can be and really is, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what Christmas is all about, that he became one of us, that he dwelled with us, experienced what we experience. And I just want to um, kind of tag off of what Laura just prayed and also what Tanya had said and at the end of the announcements. I just wanted to say thank you to you guys for worshiping with us uh, the last few Sundays as we celebrate Christmas. I know we're not done yet. We still have this Sunday. We still have next Sunday, Christmas Sunday to celebrate. Um, but I just want to th- say thank you for your generosity, for your willingness to embrace the joy. Uh, because a lot of times we just get wrapped up in Christmas, in the, 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 the marketing, in the, the fast franticness, the holiday parties. How many of you have been to a holiday party or something uh, in the last few weeks, right? You know, company parties and family parties. And we just go, 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 go. And sometimes it's just really important And I think that it's so important why on Sunday mornings we have this time where we pause and we recognize that Christmas is so much more, way bigger than Christmas trees, presents, stockings, Christmas company parties. Those are all fine things, but it's so much more. It's about our Lord and Savior being born, that he was born for you and I. And this is an opportunity for us to celebrate that. So I just want to say thank you for celebrating that with us and also for taking time out to really give back and the adoptive family and the 167 opportunities and saying, you know, it's more than just an hour on a Sunday. It really is more than that. It's about what we do outside of this time. And so I thank you for that. Um, Today is the third Sunday of Advent, the third in four Sundays leading up to Christmas, in which we prepare our hearts, we prepare our minds for celebrating the birth of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In the first week of our refocused Christmas series, which we have kind of tagged along with Advent, the first Sunday we talked about Joseph and Mary and how their clear vision of God, their faith in God, solid as it was, left them the opportunity to really respond to God when he came and said, hey, guess what? I want you to be the earthly father and earthly mother of the Lord and Savior of the entire world. How's that sound? All right, now, it may sound like a great honor and all this kind of stuff, but remember that it changed their lives drastically, dramatically, completely. And it made it much harder for them. But they accepted it willingly, just like that. Both Joseph and Mary, which is, I think, why God chose them. And it was because of their clear vision, the vision that they had of God and who they were and who God was to them. And then the last week, the second week of end, we talked about the next part of the Christmas story, which was the shepherds. And we talked about how God was kind of in their peripheral vision, right? If you're looking this way, if you're focusing on this, that, and the other thing, and God is kind of in your peripheral vision, he's there, you know he's there, but you don't have a lot of detail. He may not be really relevant. The shepherds, maybe God was that way to them. He was in their peripheral vision. And God said, nope, I need to be front and center. And he did that because he showed up in the night sky with a whole host of angels. That works pretty well, by the way. All right. Refocus their vision. Hey, God is really relevant now. And he's right in their focal point. 
And God became very relevant, very real. And they did what only they could have done, what only they should have done. They raced to be in the presence of their Lord and Savior of Jesus. And their lives were changed as a result of it. They went back and told everyone they could find about it. And their lives were changed dramatically. They went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God. So today, we take another step toward this next part of Christmas. This is the part that uh, a lot of people enjoy because it's kind of the mysterious part. It has the drama. This part of the Christmas story would make a good movie. Okay, it really would. If they make a, you know, a, a real movie on the Christmas story, this is the part that brings in the mystery. This is the part that brings in the drama. This is the part that brings in the bad guy in the Christmas story. And so today we're going to talk about the Magi, the wise men. And no, they're not the bad guys. Okay, but that's who we're going to talk about. That's who we're focusing on this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, if you like to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or pull out your phone if you'd like to follow along on that or your device. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be, the first 12 verses of that. Um, Let me set this up real quick. The birth of Jesus has already happened. Okay, Jesus is born. He's in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph are there. And um, we don't know exactly when this happened after the birth of Jesus. We know he's born. We know it wasn't immediately. It's not like in the first few days. But it could have been as far out as two years from the time that Jesus was born. So it's possible, although the Bible does not expressly say this. So we don't know for sure. We don't know exactly how old Jesus was when the wise men showed up. It's possible, this is weird to think, it's possible that Jesus was just beginning to take his first steps. Beginning to say his first words. Can you think about the Savior of the world doing that? Right? Taking his first steps, saying his first words. Mary and Joseph being overjoyed at seeing the Savior of the world walking for the first time. Right? We don't know how old he was, but we do know that it was after his birth and the wise men show up and they came from a long ways away. And so they are there. And we're going to talk about kind of what this looks like and look at Matthew chapter 2 and see this whole part of the story. And yes, there is going to be a bad guy that shows up to the story. And we're going to talk about him as well. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So there's a lot going on here. Let's unpack this for just a minute. So these wise men arrive. And by the way, traditionally, if you see the Christmas pageants, they have three of them, right? We don't know if there were three. We know there were more than one because the the original language is plural. We know that there were wise men, not a wise man or not a wise guy. (laughs) I've been called that a couple times this morning, haven't I, Randy? All right. But they have 
All right. And so there, there's more than one wise man. All right. We just don't know. If there, we, we traditionally think, yeah, there were three because they gave three gifts. That doesn't mean anything. That just means there were three gifts given. All right. But we know that there were several wise men. There could have been three. It could have been two. It could have been ten. We don't know. But there's some wise men, and we know that they came from eastern lands. We don't know where those eastern lands were. They could have been in the Middle East somewhere, just a couple hundred uh, miles away. It could have been in Asia, which would have been a long ways away, which, is, which would explain why Jesus might be a year and a half to two years old, because it would have taken them a long time to get to Israel from, say, Asia, for example. Okay? And so we have these dynamics. These wise men arrive from these eastern lands, and they, they don't know exactly where. They've been following the star, but they don't know exactly where in Israel this is. All right? And so they go to the big city, Jerusalem. And they show up in the big city because they need some answers. And they end up, they start asking around, and they start stirring up some problems. King Herod and some of the other people there, they're like, whoa, who's this new king that's been born I keep hearing about? And so King Herod gets a little nervous. And King Herod starts asking his own questions. He says, hey, uh, I need to find out what's going on. Where's this whole king of the Jews supposed to be born? Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And he starts pulling this together and he starts getting some info. And once King Herod learns it's in Bethlehem is where he was supposed to be born, now he has enough info and he wants to get some firsthand info from the wise men. Because he's like, okay, obviously you guys knew what was going on somehow because you showed up. So I need to have a meeting with these guys. And so that's what he does. Let's go to verse 7 and see what they talk about. Then Herod called for a private meeting, a secret meeting, with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Again, he's gathering info. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, this may be obvious because King Herod calls a secret meeting, a private meeting. But King Herod has no intention of worshiping Jesus. What is his intention? His intention is to murder the child. That's his intention. We find that out later, by the way, in the next uh, section of uh, passages of Scripture. Okay? Because King Herod actually has all the boys under two killed later on. He tries to wipe them all out. King Herod wants to kill Jesus. This is intention. He's not going to tell the wise men that. But he says, by the way, when you find him, let me know so that I can worship him too. He sounds so nice, right? But he's very underhanded. And King Herod wants to take away. Why does he want to get rid of Jesus? Because King Herod is very paranoia prone. He is very power hungry. And he doesn't want some kid growing up and usurping his power. In other words, Jesus is a threat to his life, to his way of life. Jesus is a threat to him. And so he wants to get rid of him now before he becomes a real threat, before he can grow up and actually become a problem. So let's see what happens. Verse 9. After this interview, the secret meeting, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. 
So in this part of the Christmas story, we have two contrasting views of Jesus. We have the view of Jesus from the wise men, and we have the view of Jesus from King Herod's perspective. Two very different views. And I want to talk about these two views because they have great bearing, great parallel for you and I and how we should respond to Jesus, how we should view God ourselves. All right, let's take a look at the wise men first. The wise men, by their view of Jesus, was very, very good. What was their view and what was their action? What was their response to God that they took that was so good? It was very simple. This is not going to be mind-blowing. This is not going to be like, wow, you must have searched scriptures forever for this one. No, it's not. It's probably one of the most simple points ever. But it's probably the hardest one to do. What did they do? They looked for Jesus. The wise men. Why were the wise men? Why did they have the opportunity to worship Jesus? Why did the wise men, above all the other people, especially in Israel, why did the wise men, above all people, have the opportunity to experience the presence of Jesus? Why them above all else? Was it because they were more special? No. Was it because they were wealthy? No. Did they have the right gifts to bring and they wrapped them correctly? No. None of that. The only reason the wise men had the opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus is because they were looking for the presence of Jesus. You see that? That cannot be overstated. Hey, let me say that again. The only reason they had the opportunity to experience the presence of Jesus is because they were looking for the presence of of Jesus. People who aren't looking for Jesus may not find Jesus. Okay? If you look at the opposite side, that's kind of how that works, doesn't it? The wise men were watching for Jesus, and the same is true for us. What is it that we're looking for? What is it that you are looking for? Honestly, what are you seeking after in life? What is your focus? What is your drive? What gets you going? In life, what is your focus, your vision in life? See, the wise men, they had this opportunity because they were looking for Jesus, and that's what made the big difference. Now, if that is what the great example that they give us in the Christmas story, that's great. But let's take a look at the contrast view of that, the contrasting view, the view from King Herod, the bad guy in the story. All right? King Herod had the wrong view of Jesus. He demonstrates really a danger that I think is, it's not as obvious to us because we're not like King Herod. We don't usually, when we feel threatened, when we uh, take a wrong focus, we generally don't think, I'm going to kill that person. That's a good thing, by the way. All right, this is good. King Herod, I think, though, the, the parallel with us, I think King Herod just takes this to a whole degree that we're just not willing to go. But I think that we sometimes wrestle with the same danger. What is the danger? Here's the danger that, uh, that King Herod wrestles with. And this point goes along with our title. The problem with him is he had blurred vision. King Herod had blurred vision. His vision of God, his vision of himself, his vision of his power, the vision of other people was blurred. It was twisted. It was distorted. It, it wasn't the right image. And therefore, everything that King Herod did 
was a result of the wrong image that he had. It was blurred. It was wrong. And so every, all the actions, all the decisions that he made were wrong because of the wrong image that he had. It was the blurry image that he saw. And so take King Herod, for example. If you look at this, King Herod lived within six miles of Bethlehem. Six miles. That's really close. I don't know how far the, the wise men traveled, but it was way more than six miles. Way more. Hundreds of miles, most likely. Okay? King Herod lived within six miles, and he had no idea that Jesus was born. No idea. Okay? He is the guy. He's the ruler over the people of Israel. These are the people that have had... Okay, the Old Testament is the first part of the Bible, right? This part of the Bible has been around for thousands of years. Okay? At the time that King Herod lived, it had been around for hundreds of years. It was still pretty old. Okay? They knew that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem for hundreds of years. And yet, King Herod, we know, what did it say in verse 4? Look back in verse 4. It says, he, Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? <laughs> in other words, I have no idea what's going on here. Who's this guy that was born? He's supposed to be king of the Jews? And he's, where, where is he going to be born? Do you guys, does, do the scriptures, do the Torah, does the Torah say something about this? And they say, actually, yeah, it does. Uh, it says, let, let me check, king, sir, you know. Oh, yeah, it says in Bethlehem. What do you know? And he says, okay, good. Bring those wise men in here. I need to talk with them. And let's make it secret. All right. And so he goes through all this and he's going through these motions. Why? Why is he making these decisions? Why is he acting this way? Because King Herod at his core is seeing the wrong image of God. He sees the wrong image of himself and he sees the wrong image of all the people around him. Therefore, they're just pawns in his little game. That's the truth. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you look up King Herod in history, you will find an evil man. King Herod is known very well for killing off most of his own family because of his paranoia and his fear for them taking his power. He's known for that. He's also known for killing thousands of innocent people simply because of his paranoia as well and his lust for power and wealth and money and just all the things that go with that. King Herod was an evil man at the core. And I believe it was truly because of his blurred vision. And history will show that. It's, it's right there. It's written about what he did, how he acted, and the decisions he made. And I think King Herod's life can be paralleled with a common eye problem that we have. How many of you have ever heard of cataracts? Some of you probably have dealt with those. I have really bad eyes. Okay? Uh, this is just the way it is. And I'm going to share a little bit about that in a minute. But uh, cataracts is very simply put a condition in which the lens of your eye, not the outer part of your eye, but the lens on the inside, get, becomes clouded. It becomes covered over so that the image, when the light comes in through your eye, it hits the lens and the cloudiness actually disperses the light. So this is what, let's put the, the, the diagram up there. Okay, so over here, this is an eye that is completely clear. You can see clearly the vision is perfect. Okay, it's like a clear window. And you see the light, where's the light focused? It's focused, very laser focused to the back of your eye. And what that does is that presents a very clear image. So whenever you're looking at you see it very clearly. You see it correctly. Okay, if you have cataracts, if, you, if your lens becomes covered with other things, then you have cataracts. And what happens to that light? Do you see where that light goes? It's all over the place. And it goes, and so therefore you're seeing the image, but it's blurry. 
It's covered over. It's like it's it's like this morning. It's like in the fog. <laughs> it's kind of like I was like, yeah, I think I'm having problems, but no, it's just fog. Okay, we're okay. All right, cataracts is just it creates this dynamic where it's blurry, it's fuzzy. You don't get the detail that you need. You don't see it correctly. Well, here's the deal. This is why I bring this up. Um, if you look at the light, see the image that you see there. How you see life determines how you're going to go through life, doesn't it? How you see things, how you view things, how you think about things is going to determine the decisions that you make about things, isn't it? And so this is really key. The physical eyesight, that's one thing, but here's the deal. King Herod, I think that King Herod had produced a condition in himself spiritually. I'm not talking about physical eyesight. Maybe he did, I don't know. But spiritually, he had spiritual cataracts. King Herod focused so heavily on his lust for power, to maintain his power, on the wealth, on the money, on everything that went with it, on the prestige, on the look at me, I'm awesome, on climbing the corporate ladder. King Herod had so much focus on that that he was adding things into his spiritual eyesight so that he distorted everything else that he was looking at. I think that he had clear vision toward his lust and power and it blurred everything else because of his wrong focus. I think King Herod had produced this spiritual form of cataracts. And I think the problem, the danger, is that you and I can do the same, can't we? Again, are we like King Herod that we're going to go out and slaughter thousands of people? I hope not. (laughs) I don't think we are. And that's good. But blurred vision is very dangerous because here's the deal. We don't always know that it's there, do we? We don't realize how blurred our vision has become as we focus so hard on other things. And very soon, slowly God becomes a little bit more in the peripheral, off to the side, becomes a little bit blurry. Uh, We see ourselves, maybe our own life a little bit blurry. Maybe not in the right light. When I was in sixth grade, I already told you I have bad eyesight. When I was in sixth grade, um, it was one of those things where the teacher would like, you know, every maybe month or two, they would move us around in the classroom, you know, where you'd get moved around and you'd sit in different places in the classroom. And in sixth grade, um, about the time when my eyes started to fail me just a bit, uh, I was put toward the back of the classroom. That's just where I got stuck. And so I started to be, have a hard time seeing the chalkboard. Yes, this is when they still had chalkboards. Okay. And, uh, and I was looking at the chalkboard and the teacher would write, and especially during math and reading, and, and I would try to see the chalkboard and it was, I could just tell, I'm like, things are not looking quite right. I'm just not, you know, I'm kind of doing this. I'm leaning forward in the desk and I wasn't even really noticing until a few days and a few weeks in. And then I started to realize I'm squinting really hard just to be able to make sure I know what that number is or that word is. And I'd squint really hard. And eventually I would have to lean forward in my desk and squint at the same time. And I must have looked hilarious. But I knew there was something going on. I knew that my vision was not quite right and that my focus was not there. But I didn't want to do anything about it. Why? Why does nobody want to do anything about it? Because I didn't want to change. I knew what would happen if I brought it up. I would have to go to the eye doctor. I would have to probably get glasses. Right? Uh, 
I would have to do this and I would have to change my life. It would change how I looked. It would change how people saw me. It would change everything for me. I didn't want to. I liked things the way they were. I'll be honest. Sixth grade, I remember thinking this for months. I liked things the way they were. I'm comfortable. I'll deal with my squinting. I'll look funny in class. I just don't want glasses. I don't want to change. And eventually, of course, the inevitable happened. We had to take steps. I had to go to the doctor. I finally got to the point where I can't do this. (laughs) This is not working. Life is not working out right now. And so I had to go to the doctor. And sure enough, yes, as I feared, my eyes are getting really bad. And I need glasses. And I got fitted for glasses. And I started wearing glasses. And and eventually, it was kind of hard for me. I'll admit, the change was hard. I didn't like it. But slowly, I got more and more used to them. And you know what happened? Eventually, I started seeing the chalkboard better. Eventually, my work got a lot easier. Sports. I was in a lot of sports. Sports got easier. I can actually see the ball now. Awesome. It's amazing how things happen when you see things. I started being able to do things so much better because of my clear vision. And it changed things. And eventually, I got contacts. Woo! Lovely. That helped my sports a lot too, by the way. I didn't have to have the strap, you know, <laughs> hold them on there. Basketball was always interesting. Bam! Oh, man, that hurts. I'm just saying. Braces were kind of hard too, by the way. Um, all these things were difficult. But here's the point. There was no way my vision was, become a, was going to be able to become clear. There's no way my vision was going to get better. There's no way my vision was going to be corrected until I understood that I needed to take some steps to help correct it. And even more than that, one step further than that, think about this. There was no way I was going to correct my own vision. Just do a little laser surgery on myself, you know. By the way, that was before all that. <laughs> that wasn't even existing. There was no way I could correct my own vision. I needed to admit I need help from an expert who knows how to do this. Okay, the parallel is very clear. How many of us have been dealing with spiritually blurred vision for far too long? How many of us have need spiritual glasses for a long time now? How many of us have needed, we've known we've needed to change. We've needed to shift something for a long time, but we just haven't been willing to. We didn't want to make a change. We didn't want to move. We didn't want to shift. How many of us know that we just need to admit we need an expert to come in and shift our gaze, shift our vision? And you know the only one who can do that? It's not an optometrist. The only one that can shift our spiritual vision is Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only eye doctor for this spiritual form of vision. He's the only one. And so what it means for us is if we have spiritual cataracts, if we have blurred vision, then the key is what are we going to do to take steps to change that vision? Because here's the deal. Let's put up those, that diagram again. Okay, if you were to look at this, if you were to look at these two diagrams, if you were to say about your life, 
honestly, if you were to honestly look at your life and you would say, spiritually speaking, I am definitely more of the clearly focused. I know who God is. I, my faith is there. I trust in a hundred percent. I have no doubts done deal. I'm walking with Jesus. I've accepted him. I'm a Christ follower done clear laser back of the eye done. Or would you say I'm maybe spiritually speaking more like the, the, cataracts. Maybe I'm a little bit more on that side of things, spiritually speaking. Which one would you say describes your spiritual life, your faith? If you were just honest, which one would describe yours? I don't know. I don't know what you would answer. I don't know where you're at, but which one of those diagrams would describe more accurately your faith, your spiritual walk with Christ? Because what Jesus wants and what he knows is the best way of life is when we are laser focused on Jesus. When we are laser focused in our spirit toward him, toward him as salvation, as Lord, as Savior. And I'll just say, if you say, yeah, I am laser focused. I really believe that. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I am there. If you believe that, if that's where you say you are at, then that's good. Then your task, your responsibility is to continue to grow closer to Jesus and grow in that clarity and to help others get to that diagram, isn't it? That's your task. That's your responsibility is to help as many other people to see clearly focused on Jesus as much as they can. But if you would say, you know, honestly, I would say I'm more on this other side. I'm more on the the scattered view. If you'd say that's more where I'm at. Then the question that I would say you need to answer is what step do I need to take to get to this other side? What is the practical step? What is the what is the decision? What is the choice? What is what is the change that I need to make to clear my vision? Of Jesus to start seeing him clearly. I, I've talked about this many times. You guys have known this before, but I will say this. One of the biggest steps in determining and seeing clear vision. One of the biggest steps is to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, that's one of the biggest steps. It is really difficult to change your vision of Christ, to change your vision of God, unless you first go to the doctor. <laughs> you have to go to the doctor first. Before I, I can kind of see, oh, my vision's kind of blurry, but until I go to Jesus, I don't know how to correct things. There's no way to know. And so the first step for some of us in here, maybe this is you, For some of us in here, the first step that you need to make is to really make that choice and say, you know, I've been on the fence. I've not really, I've never really been sure if Jesus is real. I've never really been sure if I want to throw my lot in with Jesus. If I want to be known as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, as a Christ follower. Okay, there is something different about that. It It is not about going to church. It's not about singing the right songs. It's not about... You know, doing certain things. What it is, is about an orientation of your heart. Have you put Jesus in place of two areas of your life? Lord, which is the leader of your life, the one who helps you make the decisions, who really makes the decisions for you. 
Lord of your life, leader of your life, and Savior of your life. The one who saves you from your sins. The only one who can save you from your sins. The question is, have you done that? Because it is a choice that you have to make. A decision that you have to make. A point in time where you say, I'm drawing the line. I am now a follower of Christ from here on out. And it really is an ABC thing. You've heard me say, here, share the ABCs. You need to admit that you need Jesus, that you have sin in your life, that you need Jesus, that your vision needs corrected. You need to be, you need to believe in Jesus, that he's real, that he actually was born, that he actually was sacrificed on the cross for your sins, that it actually happened and that it paid the price for your sins, for everybody's sins. You have to believe that. And C, you need to commit the rest of your life to him to live according to Jesus and his principles for living, which are found in the word of God. Live according to this book. Admit you need him, believe in him, that he died for you, and commit your life to him. That's where the decision comes down to. Accepting him as Lord and Savior. Some of you maybe are not sure that you've ever made that choice. We've had many people through Northridge that have made that choice. Many of you are here today. I've prayed with some of you to do that. Some of you have accepted Jesus. You've made that choice, haven't you? And I see many of you, and I know you're smiling at this because you know this, right? You've made this choice. You've made that. You've drawn the line and you said, Jesus is everything to me. Jesus is now going to be everything to me from here on out. I'm committing my life to him. And so here's what I'm going to do. Maybe God is asking you to do that today. Maybe you've never done it. I just encourage you, if God is pricking your heart a little bit, if you feel a little bit that twinge, that funny feeling, if you feel like God is saying to you, yeah, you need to do that, you've needed to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray this prayer. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just silently in your chair, I want you to do, if you believe this, not if you think somebody else wants you to do it, not because you feel guilty or anything, just simply if God, if you believe God is asking you to do this, to accept him as Lord and Savior, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And then if you do that, you need to let us know. You mark it on the card, put your name and say, I accepted Jesus today. That's how many of you have done it. Many of you have chosen to do what I, I kind of prefer Uh, you've just come face to face to me and say, hey, I accepted Jesus today. I'm not going to bring you up and throw confetti all over you in front of everybody. Okay, but I am going to smile. I'm going to rejoice. I am probably going to give you a big hug. Okay, unless you really say, no, give me a strong handshake. I'll do that. It's fine. (laughs) But listen, this is the most, I, I kid you not, this is the most important decision you will ever make. The Bible, it has some things that we can maybe argue about. But one thing that the Bible is not have any gray area on at all is that Jesus is the only doctor to save you from your sins. The only one that brings true eternity with him for all of life beyond this earth. So I encourage you to make that choice this morning. If you're just not sure, Make that choice, but then be sure to let us know because that has in huge implications for eternity for you and for a lot of other people.
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. If that's a choice that you know you want to make this morning, pray this prayer with me right now. All right, bow your heads. Let's pray. Lord, for those of us in here who want to accept you as Savior and as Lord today, I pray that they would just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I admit that my vision is blurred. Jesus, I admit that I need you to correct it. Jesus, I admit that I have sin in my life. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you were born. And I believe that you lived. And Jesus, I believed, believe that you died for me. Jesus, I believe that your death paid the price for my sins. Jesus, I thank you for paying the price for my sins. So now, Jesus, I ask for you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life today. Lord, make this the day that I've drawn in the sand that I become a Christ follower. That I become a Christian following after you. Lord, as of today, Jesus, I commit my life to you for now and forever. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.